Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. My name's Chris. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for those of you that are watching online. I saw Janina's hosting. I saw Blair's watching out there and Christina and a bunch of other awesome people. Uh, we are doing this series called God Never Said That. And uh, I forgot to say this uh, last week before uh, I started speaking, but uh, we want your questions. Um, and there's a phone number. You can text questions in. We're going to take about five minutes or so at the end of service today to, to kind of talk through questions that you might have from the scriptures that we read, this idea maybe what it is that uh, you're wrestling with as you kind of process through this idea of today's message or maybe one from the last couple of weeks. And so at any point in time, you can text in your questions. Just so you know, your questions don't go directly to the screen and not uh, nobody knows who asks the questions. So if you're nervous, uh, don't be. They go to a app on my phone and, uh, and so we'll talk through it. And then we have a special guest that's gonna be helping us um, answer these questions today as well, which I'm excited for that. So um, it's... Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, I have not always been a pastor. I know, maybe surprising. Uh, I uh, had a long and illustrious career uh, as a pool boy. Um, so I, I had a pool cleaning business for a number of years, and uh, I had a friend, uh, a kind of a mentor, older guy, and uh, and he said he had this big pool repair cleaning business, and he's like, hey man, like come do this while you're, because uh, I was in school at the time and interning, and uh, he's like, come do this, it's fun, it's easy, and if it ever gets too hot, you just get to go in the pool and say that you are cleaning something from the bottom, uh, and I used that a number of times. So, uh, but uh, I needed at the time I didn't have the right kind of vehicle for it, and so I went and I found a 1982 Datsun pickup truck. It was awesome. Uh, it was mostly white, except for where it was rusted out and uh, falling apart. Uh, it had these disgusting, uh, like, remember when people were like really into like that sheep wool seat cover thing? It came with those on it, and I just never took them off for some reason. Uh, but um, I had, I lived in Corona at the time, and so I generally just did a lot of pools in the Corona area, but I started getting other pools around, and, and uh, I never really knew how to get to these houses, and this is so long ago that there was no iPhones at at this point in time, which feels bizarre to have to articulate that. This was pre-iPhone, so we didn't have maps on our phones or anything like that. Um, and, uh, and the guy that taught me, he would literally print out maps from MapQuest, if you guys remember that site. Uh, he would print them out, and he had like them stapled in his car, so he knew how to get where he was going. I was like, well, I'm young and cool, and I, I'm you know, techie. And so do you know what I did? I went out, and I bought a... Palm Pilot. Uh, do you guys remember Palm Pilots? They were very popular for like 18 months. Uh, no, it was longer than that, but it was basically like, I mean, it was kind of like a Kindle. I mean, it was basically, it's kind of what it looked like. The screen, it wasn't really colors on the screen. It was just kind of black and greenish, like that weird vibe. And But I, I had to buy this Palm Pilot, which was expensive, and then it didn't just come, it didn't connect to the internet or whatever the correct terminology is. You know, your phone, it just, it does things. The Palm Pilot does not just do things. Uh, you had to buy an additional software for like 150 bucks to load maps onto this thing, and uh, it never gave you any information about traffic or anything like that. So here I am, just starting this business because I need money. 
I spend about $500 on a Palm Pilot uh, on map software. I spent about $400 on his beat-up Datsun pickup truck, and I just thought I was the smartest person in the world, just cruising around, listening to terrible music. Uh, I was not a great pool guy, but I had the best GPS uh, out of all the pool guys. So, uh, but we all kind of have this, there's this piece for all of us that we really just want to know factually and quickly where to go. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me which direction I should head in. Just tell me exactly what the right thing to say is. What's the, what's the exact best way to handle this situation? We just, we kind of all long for that GPS-like uh, experience, and we kind of want to have that internally just to be able to know uh, if you guys, depending on how many uh, Disney movies and your age, all that kind of stuff, Jiminy uh, Cricket has this kind of like, let your conscience be your guide type of idea, and we all just want to have this thing inside of us that just tells us definitively and accurately what to do, where to go, what to say, how to respond, how to react, uh, what decisions to make. And that just isn't really what any of us have. But the closest that we have is this phrase that has become kind of commonplace, common vernacular, this idea, this cliche to just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. There's a great song. Listen to your heart. I won't sing the whole thing, but you will continue singing it in your minds for the rest of the service. Uh, but there's this idea that we've held on to. And now, I don't think that any of us say this with ill intentions. I think a lot of times we say this because we don't actually know how to answer somebody's questions. Like, man, I just, I'm struggling with what to do for work or for school or in this relationship. And, and maybe sometimes we're just even tired of having the conversation. It's like, well, just listen to your heart. Stop bothering me. Just, you know, figure it out. It's a way to kind of wrap up a conversation. But oftentimes these things that we say kind of offhanded, they actually start to shape the way we think more than we realize. These offhanded ideas or concepts or these little things that we do or say, oftentimes they actually have a bigger impact than we could ever know. And I think that this phrase, just follow your heart, do, do what feels right, you do you, is kind of the current version of it. Uh, it, it is a really damaging thing. This is a, a cliche. This is not an accurate thing. This is not something that God said. It sounds reasonable on the surface, but as we start to navigate and look a little bit deeper, we realize that there's some, there's some issues here. What is it that we even mean when we say, just follow your heart? I think that there's this idea that our heart, our feelings, our impulses, that there's something inside of us that can be accurate enough to guide us, that it won't lead us astray. That somehow if we stop listening to other people or if we stop using uh, common wisdom or if we stop writing pros and cons lists and just focus on this one thing in our heart, like what is it that my heart is saying that somehow that will be the most accurate or the healthiest or the best way to move forward? In reality, that's, that's not true. And you know that. I know that. We've all had experiences where we've listened to our hearts and it has not gone well. We've listened to our heart. I was 17 when I signed loan documents for college at a very expensive private school in a major that I didn't actually want to do. I listened to my heart because I had some friends that also went there, and it was a long time to pay off that school loan. Uh, we've listened to our heart and financial decisions, stuff we want to buy, and we think, oh, this is going to change my life. This Palm Pilot is going to make me the coolest, most successful pool man. Uh, we, we have these ways of listening to our hearts. We all have these experiences. Uh, I was um, 
This was uh, probably about 16 years ago, I guess. Um, I had been dating someone, and, uh, and it had been a pretty long relationship and pretty serious. We actually really had talked about marriage, and I had looked at rings. And, and then the thing just kind of took this crazy turn, and the relationship fell apart. And there was like a lot of hurt, and she had done a lot of stuff that was really um, not okay. And so broke it off, and was single for a little while, and then I met Ez. And uh, we were friends for a long time. My wife, my current wife, if you guys don't know who Ez is, um, I guess I'll clarify that. Um, So she's not here today. She's watching online. Uh, So hi, Ez. Um, But uh, but, um, we, I met Ez. We were friends. We had mutual friends. We hung out all the time. Then I started feeling like, oh, I think that this is more like... I really like her, and I think that she really likes me. And, and so we kind of started having some of those conversations. I don't know if you guys remember, like some of those, like, what is actually happening here? Like, is there something more here? And right when we had those conversations, guess who showed up? Her, the other woman, my ex-girlfriend, came back apologetic and like, oh, I, I've changed, and I realized I did so many wrong things, and I really do want us to work out. And you guys know what I did? I listened to my heart, and I got back together with her. Yeah, I know. I, was, I tried to be gentlemanly about it, and so I talked with Ez, and I said, I'm really sorry to do this, but I just feel like I, I, feel like I need to follow my heart, and, and, and so I'm going to do this. And do you know what she said to me? I can't say it in church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so she was very uh, bothered, but handled it graciously. And, uh, and so I went, and it was about two weeks later when I realized this was the wrong decision. I should not have listened to my heart. And so I called Ez and I said, I am so, I blew it. I'm so sorry. This was a terrible choice. Um, Will you please at least just give me the chance to explain and kind of restore our friendship? And she said, no. I was kidding. Uh, She said yes, but very timidly. And obviously now we're happily married and she probably regrets not listening to her heart. Uh, no. Uh, anyways, this idea of just follow our heart. I mean, maybe you had a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend in fifth grade, you know, somebody, you, you, you make this pact on the playground and it's like everything is the most important thing. And then by, you know, the end of school, it's like, well, this relationship is over, you know, or, uh, but this, these childish things, they become adult things. And we continue to listen to our heart and we continue to do things that feel right in the moment or that feel like something we really want or it feels like it's the the smart thing or it feels, and oftentimes what happens as we listen to our heart is we're not actually listening to wisdom or logic or we're not actually listening to what God would want us to do. For those of us that are Jesus followers, we believe that there's a different way that we're called to live. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that oftentimes we have total peace in our hearts about something. We feel super confident in our hearts that something is the right thing to do, and it ends up just being a terrible decision, not the right thing, not the right fit. And it's important for us to recognize that this idea, when we talk about just follow your heart, obviously we're not talking about a literal heart. That would be a little bit gory. We're talking about something deeper, is this, this idea. And really, when we talk about this concept of following our hearts and what is our heart saying and what's coming from our heart, it kind of goes back to this really ancient understanding where they would essentially process through the heart as representing kind of the epicenter of our emotions and our impulses, our desires. 
And really, I think that that's kind of how we still think about it today. That's the way we process through it today. So essentially, what we're saying is just listen to your desires. Just listen to your emotions. Just listen to your impulses, which none of us would ever say that. We all recognize that as like, yeah, that's probably not great advice. But that's what really we're saying when we say the phrase, just follow your heart. It's this idea of, well, just follow, you know, whatever's inside of you bubbling up at the moment. Just go with that. It doesn't make sense when we think about it that way. I don't know about you guys, but my impulses, my emotions, they can be pretty fickle. Uh, Hot and cold, yes and no, and all of the other lyrics of the Katy Perry song. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's all over the place. It's a crazy experience, and it, it's, it changes based on how much sleep I got or whether my kids got dressed without fighting for school or, you know, how the first meeting of the day went or it, my, my emotions, my impulses, my desires, they are changed by so many different outside factors. And so why would it be wise for me? Why should I just follow my heart however it happens to feel that day? The Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not great. Uh, There's not a lot of positive things in the scripture about our hearts. In fact, it's almost all negative. It's almost all warnings. It's almost all kind of like headline alerts, heads up, don't follow your heart. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, over and over again, this idea continues to show up. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it's one of the maybe most well-known. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So there's your encouraging verse for the day. Uh, the heart is deceitful. And it's not, that it, it, it's not that you have a desire to lie to others. It's that your heart deceives you. My heart deceives me. And I cannot understand it. When I try and just feel confident about what my heart is saying, there's no way that I can truly understand what's happening inside. When we follow our hearts, it gets us into trouble. Um, Mason is uh, my older son. He's in uh, fifth grade, and he has always really disliked math. And this year, he's gotten so much better at it. I don't know that he likes it anymore, but he fights it less. But every once in a while, there's still some days where it's just really difficult. And this last week, we were doing math sheets with him, as was doing math sheets and working through some multiplication things and fractions and this and that. And one of the questions was something along the lines of, like, what's, you know, nine times eight? And he said, I feel like it's 50. And as <laughs> uh, says, well, feelings have nothing to do with math what is the answer? And he's like, I feel like it's 50. She's like, it's not. What's the answer? He's like, I feel like it should be 50. <laughs> like, I don't know how to break this to you. It doesn't matter how you feel. There is still a correct answer. There is a way that you can find out what the right answer is. And I think a lot of us, we like to believe that we are these rational, um, logical people. And this is kind of left, uh, uh, the mark of this is kind of from this enlightenment kind of worldview. And we believe I'm an individual, I'm logical, I'm rational, I can make correct, healthy, logical decisions. But the reality is, is that we are social, emotional, <laughs> relational people. And we are, we are not as logical and rational as we like to think we are. And so we tell ourselves we can just follow our hearts. We tell other people that they should be able to just follow their hearts because certainly you could make the rational decisions. 
but your heart is interested in a few things. That it wants you to do what feels good. Your heart wants you to do what feels familiar. Your heart wants you to do what feels interesting and validating and safe. These are the things that your heart will lead you towards. Because this is just the reality of the way that we are built. Uh, we long to, for pleasure. We, we want to have the same things over and over again. Our brains are actually wired in this way to kind of look for patterns and to save time. We want things that feel interesting and we want approval and validation and we want to know that we have worth and we want to know that we're safe. And, and our heart wants us to do these things that feel this way, but our heart doesn't ever really tell us what is good. Our heart doesn't tell us what is interesting or what is safe or, or the value that we do have. It kind of leads us to, to find it in these other ways, in these other broken avenues. And the challenging thing, maybe the most surprising or maybe discouraging thing, is that when you start to feel good or familiar or interesting, it goes away pretty quick. It doesn't actually last because these are all just bottomless pits that can never really be filled by anything outside of God and the plan that God has for you. We will continue to pursue pleasure, to pursue safety, to pursue validation. We try and find it any place that we can, and our heart is looking for anywhere it can to, to find these things. And so the pursuit of these things in and of itself is an exhausting and defeating experience. Uh, I want to say it's important for us to understand, and it's important I want you guys to understand, emotions are not bad. I know some people that really hate emotions. Uh, I'm a very emotional person, so I take that personally. Uh, but there's some people that are like, nope, I, I, emotions, like, let, we're not going to cry. I'm not going to shout. We're gonna, everything is going to stay boxed up, and we're not going to touch it. I, I really think it's important for us to actually understand and interact with and feel our feelings. I think that that is a healthy thing, but our emotions and our feelings are not the best leaders of our heart. They do not have what's holistically best for you and for I in mind. Our feelings are real, but they are not always true. We continue to come back to this idea of following our heart, and it will continue to lead us astray. Jesus said it this way, a very hopeful verse about your hearts. He says, for from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So again, just in case anyone's like, yeah, but I think I've got a good heart, uh, just over and over again getting beat down, like, no, you don't. Our heart is broken, and, and outside of our heart, it's, it's desires left unchecked, the brokenness from sin through our hearts. It causes us to pursue things, and we may not in our mind be like, you know what? I'm going to pursue adultery. But the broken desires that we have for validation, for excitement, for pleasure, for freedom, these, these kind of broken things, they lead us down different paths, and we have got to figure out how do we check these things against truth, against what's healthy, can you imagine if a friend came up and said, hey, I want to introduce you to someone. I, uh, I think that you're really going to like them. You should for sure read their books. Um, they're pretty deceitful, and they're kind of perverts, um, and uh, they lie a lot. Um, you should for sure check out their newest book. Like, none of us would do that. 
None of us would follow that person, but we still choose and we still think like, you know what, I'm just going to follow my heart, even though our heart will lead us to broken and painful places. Ezekiel, a prophet, wrote in the Old Testament a book called Ezekiel, chapter 36, speaking to God's people on behalf of God. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, the most positive verses throughout the scripture, the most positive examples of uh, scriptures that talk about our hearts, they all have to do with this idea that we can have a new heart, that the one that you have is broken, it's hurting, it's sick, it's corrupted. The most positive examples in scriptures are this idea about being restored or having a new heart, being renewed, about healing. This, this is the hope that we get to hold on to, and, and this is what Ezekiel is talking about in this, in this verse, this idea of, of a newness, a new life, a new possibility. And so then we have to wrestle and ask the question, okay, well then if I put my trust in Jesus and if he's restoring and renewing or giving me the heart of the Father, then can I trust my heart now? Can I follow my heart now? And I think that there's still a struggle here, and I heard this metaphor that I think helps a little bit. Uh, metaphors are as helpful um, until they're not. That most metaphors break down at some point, so, but maybe this will kind of help. Um, when, when somebody gets a physical heart transplant, there's this thing that can sometimes happen, and uh, doctors call it graph versus host. And this is where the body's immune system begins to attack this new heart because it's, it's foreign and it, it, your body thinks that it's a disease. And so it begins to attack this, this newness. And I think for a lot of us in our uh, transformation, as we put our trust in Jesus and we, we are free from sin and from the bondage and the broken, the chains that kind of hold us down, we have this freedom and there's this battle internally that's continuing to happen this battle of us trying to decide of which way we want to live, which way we want to handle things. I have a, a quote. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it now. Mm, nope, I'm not. Uh, there's this idea of um, sin oftentimes being this opportunity for us to actually idealize what's not true. It's this desire to pursue something that's a lie, that doesn't exist. It's much better sounding in the original quote. But I think that we have this reality in our bodies where we are free from the power of sin, but we still have this battle, this tug of war happening inside of us. And so, yes, God gives us a new heart and we continue to become transformed or sanctified, this process that's ongoing in our hearts. And there is a wrestle that happens in that process as well. I think that the hope that we have, the thing that we can hold on to, the way that we can push back against impulsivity and emotionalism and this idea of just following our heart is to pattern our lives after God's wisdom. The, the reality that all wisdom ultimately comes from God and God shares his wisdom with us through a few different ways. Um, the first way is uh, in John chapter 1. It's almost Christmas, so we'll read an almost Christmas verse. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. 
Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. There's this reality in this passage where it's articulating Jesus's existence from the beginning, that all of creation was made through the word, through Jesus. It was made through and in him. Uh, Paul in Colossians, he says that uh, in Christ, all things are held together. There is this reality that the word uh, existed in the beginning. It holds us together. The word becomes flesh. This is the Christmas story. Uh, Emmanuel means God with us flesh and and gives us an example of what does it look like to live a different way? What does God look like in our world, in our culture, in our setting? John tells us the word becomes flesh. God put wisdom in a person so we could examine that person's actions, so we could look at the life of Jesus and model our lives that way. It's not about following our hearts. We should follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. Follow the way of Jesus, the living and breathing word of God. And, and in that, we get to learn about who Jesus is and these other teachings through the written word of God, through reading the scripture. This is the hope that we have. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Um, Proverbs chapter 3, this is a verse that Pastor Moses read in his video before I started the message. Uh, it says, trust in, your lo- in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. It doesn't say trust in your heart with all of your heart. It says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Your heart needs to submit to something different. Your heart is not in charge. It should not be in charge. You need to submit. You need to look at your heart. What is your heart saying? And filter that through this lens of what is it that God would want from me? How would God want me to interact, to care, to navigate my life and my relationships? Um, There is a kind of a, a church father, an early church father. He began the Jesuit order named Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, and he defined sin. He talked about sin as this. He said, sin is an unwillingness to trust what God wants from me, to trust that what God wants from me is my deepest happiness. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants from me is my deepest happiness. Now, a little nuance. I'm not sure that I would use the word happiness there, but this idea that we are unwilling to believe that God truly wants us to be whole, restored, healed, reconciled. Sin is this unwillingness to believe that God actually does desire for us to experience wholeness, fullness, goodness. So what was created, it was good. And we have this fear, this tendency, and I think that that's why the devil's primary target is our trust in God and his truth as we find it in scripture. I think that if the enemy can get us to doubt that God is actually a good father, maybe he's just kind of like your father. Kind of broken, kind of good, a little selfish, but also loves you. 
Maybe we wrestle with, is God actually good? Satan wants us to struggle and start to doubt whether we can trust scriptures, trust God's goodness as it comes to us in the word of God, that we can really, is it, it's not actually realistic or possible. This is all just, this is just an ideal. So I'm not even gonna try and aim for this. And I think it starts to erode away and we start to say, well, if God's not really actually that good, if I can't really trust scriptures, then I guess I'll just, try and make the decision on my own. I'll just follow my heart. I guess I'll choose what the best route forward would be. I think this goes back to the garden, which I've talked about over the last couple weeks. It keeps coming up. But in the beginning, there was this desire that the enemy had, the serpent had, as he was talking with Adam and Eve and says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Which isn't what God said. But there's this beginning to doubt. Is God really? And then he says, it's not that you're gonna die There's this doubt that continues. There's something that God's withholding from you. So don't you want to just try and have it? Don't you want to just follow your own desires and and figure it out your own way? And this is something we've been wrestling with since the beginning. We've got to continue to bring back our hearts, to look at them, to, to, to view them through the lens of God's scripture and of Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So we have to spend time with Jesus. Uh, Believing in Jesus and and being a Christian is not just saying, I uh, affirm this idea of Jesus, and so I'm going to put that on the shelf, and this is one of my collections. We believe that there's a relationship, that there's time and effort and energy that needs to be put into learning and growing in this relationship with Jesus, learning more about who this friend, this Savior is, And there's this opportunity for us to spend time not only with the word, the living and breathing word of God, which is Jesus, but also in the word, in the Bible, in the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter four, it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And then this line, I think, is so crucial for us today. It says, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When we read scripture, when we spend time with Jesus, it helps us discern and navigate what is the actual intention of my heart. Is it selfishness? Is it pride? Is it safety? Is it pleasure? Is it boredom? Is it novelty? What is it actually that's driving me? If I were to listen to my heart, where would it actually lead me? What if I played this tape out forward? Where would it go? So we spend time in relationship with Jesus, and we spend time learning about Jesus in the word of God. And this is the invitation for us. It feels kind of trite to say, don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. It feels like I'm one like accident away from saying, what would Jesus do? Uh, which is a valid question. But it's, again, it's, it's a cliche and millions of dollars off of bracelets have made us kind of like roll our eyes at the phrase, but, but what would Jesus do in your relationship? As you're trying to wrestle with following your heart, like, well, is this the way that Jesus would handle it? Is this the way that Jesus would handle this business deal or how I'm handling my finances or my investments? Is this the way that Jesus would honor a friend or a spouse or a partner? 
what, how do we begin to wrap our minds around this idea of it's not following my heart, it's following the way of Jesus. It's taking my heart and saying, you're going to submit to something that is true, that desires goodness and wholeness and healing, and I'm going to wrap my, my heart and my life around this thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that for each one of us, uh, myself included, this is, um, none of us are off the hook here that you would give us the, um, the boldness and, and the courage to be realistic about our desires and our intentions, about our impulses. God, there's times that maybe it seems neutral or it doesn't really hurt anybody or maybe it's just neither good nor bad, but as we just allow our hearts to run the show, as we allow our hearts to lead us, um, it will continue more and more to, to put us in harm's way and to lead us down paths that will end in pain and brokenness. God, I pray that each one of us would continue to grow in our understanding of who you are and our relationship with you, that we would recognize that part of the reason why we need a Savior is because our heart is broken, because I cannot solve my problems myself, because I cannot fix myself. I need a savior. And so God, I pray that each of us would take the time to truly lean into a relationship with you, with your son, to learn the way of Jesus, and that we would model our lives that way, that we would take time to, to read your word, to, to not just skim some pages or a few verses every once in a while, but that we would familiarize ourselves with your truth so that we could follow that instead of the impulses and the desires that just bubble up from inside of us. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take just a minute here, and uh, we're going to answer some questions. Uh, we have the phone number, I think, will be up on the screen. Uh, I have a special guest joining us today, so if you guys would do me a favor and welcome John Mark Robeck. He's going to come up on stage and hang out and answer all of the questions that are too hard for me to answer. Uh, it's not too late. If you guys have questions and you want to um, text some of those in, you can. I got a couple of questions from the first service that were really great, and, uh, and so we'll probably look at a couple of those as well. Um, but John Mark is a professor at Vanguard University, and he is incredibly smart, uh, and it's not intimidating at all to have him sitting in the seats when I preach sermons. So he's a professor of theology and uh, kind of the, the head of that department. Is that right? Is that better than what I said first service? It's, it's perfect. I, uh, originally, I said John Mark runs Vanguard, which is also maybe true. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Thank the Lord it's not. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but uh, he and Christina, they lead a small group on Tuesday nights, and, uh, and they've become uh, a huge part of the church and been coming for about a year. And a few weeks ago, I had Sam up here when Sam spoke, and we got to do the Q&A together. Last week, it was me by myself, and it just felt a little bit weird. I love having two people because I think it's always important for us to realize that it's not just one person's perspective, and one person does not have all the answers. Uh, two people don't have all the answers, but uh, we can help kind of maybe respond and, and direct some things. So um, anyways, so uh, a couple questions. We've got a couple new ones in here, so I'm going to give you one from the first service, and that way I can read the new ones and see um, if they're just making fun of my shirt again. So... Um, all right, so uh, one of the questions that came in is, when you are consciously aware that your heart and your mind are telling you different things, 
How do you navigate that tension and choose which you will follow? Um, during the first service, actually, I, as I was sitting and listening, I was thinking through this for myself, actually. And I remember at a time when I was pretty young, I was 17, and I had gone on a short-term missions trip to Costa Rica. Really wonderful experience, uh, that trip. And uh, some things happened there that really shifted the trajectory of my life. Uh, I felt called into ministry, specifically missions. And so when I came home, I was really excited about what was next. Uh, and over the course of the year, I found out our church was going back again to Costa Rica the next summer. Uh, and I began to sort of pray about, you know, whether or not I would go back. And in my heart, I wanted to be there. Absolutely, 100%. In my head, I felt like God was telling me, this summer, you're not going to go. And I really wrestled with that. And I had to bring people around me that I could trust to sort of speak into that space. I asked for them to pray with me, uh, to help guide me in that. And I ended up having to make a really hard decision where I knew that there was, there was something my heart was leading me toward, something that I felt God was calling me to. And in the end, I followed what God uh, had, had asked of me, and I didn't go. And it actually turned out to be a really wonderful summer for me where I connected with the Lord in ways that I had never before. And that would not have been possible if I had gone back, yeah. uh, partly because the church was almost asked to leave uh, because it was such a dysfunctional trip. <laughs> That's because you weren't there. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. It probably would have added to the dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is this, uh, there's a, a challenge. I think that, you know, in first service, you talked about this reality of, um, and maybe I'm mixing up the questions, but the, the importance of community as well and, and relying on people that know you well and that are able to speak honestly to you. I think one of the challenges is we think about our heart and our head, uh, and I, I assume we probably are imagining that from like feelings and logic. Um, neither our heart or our head is perfect. <laughs> I know mine's not. Um, and so I think that if we're talking about this from the light of like a what I would call like a sin issue, like my heart wants me to steal this new pair of shoes, but my head knows that it's wrong. Um, well, there's clarity on how we should react in that moment. But there's times when um, we're trying to make a decision that maybe isn't about a sin issue. It's about a, whether or not I should take a job or what my major should be or, or you know, um, what to do with my summer vacation. You know? And I think that there's a lot of times where there's actually just freedom and space for us to make um, choices. Um, and I, I grew up, I don't really know why I thought this way, but I really was always, uh, when I was younger, teenager, I was really scared about um, making the wrong choice and missing out on something good that God had. And like, well, you should have picked the other path. Uh, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't like it was, you know, should I steal shoes or not. It was just like normal everyday decisions. And there was this fear that somehow I had gotten stuck in that somehow there was only one right decision in every scenario and that somehow I was going to miss out on something awesome from God if I made the wrong one. And I think that over time I found freedom in realizing that there is space for us to make some choices in some of those areas. Again, Bible's pretty clear on a lot of things. Uh, but I think, you know, when it's what's your summer vacation destination or what are you going to get for lunch? There's a, a, an ability to have some freedom there. Um, okay, so a couple other questions here. Um, this one uh, kind of turns uh, maybe a similar topic uh, or it's close to. Uh, when we're seeking God's direction on something that has a deadline, um, but we don't feel like God has answered us, how do we proceed? 
I think that does tie really well into that first uh, question and your comment to it, uh, is often as we're praying, we're wanting for God to answer our question very specifically. <laughs> and, and, and I know in my own life, I often find that God is very silent. Uh, and uh, for a long time, I wrestled with that. God, why are you being silent? I'm praying, I'm seeking, I want for you to guide me. And a friend of mine reminded me, he says, you know, John Mark, sometimes God's, silent, God is, God's silence doesn't sort of indicate a disconnection between you and God, but God's trusting you. You already know what you're supposed to be doing. Hmm. You already know what he's called you and led you to. So instead of feeling as though God should be answering all of our questions, we need to, to live in response to him, hmm. obediently to him in those spaces where we already know what generally he's called us to. Yeah, that's good. Um, this question uh, came in, uh, it's a little bit longer. So sometimes when we don't get our way or we, have, uh, or we don't have our feelings met in a certain way, we tend to drift away um, from realizing that maybe that isn't what God intended for us to have. How do we remind ourselves in those moments that God is at work and has a bigger and better plan for us instead of feeling the anger or falling into a deeper hole of despair. So I think the question is around this idea of um, when we don't get the things that we want or what uh, things don't go the way we want them, how do we live in a space where we're reminding ourselves or able to remember that there is a bigger plan or purpose and that uh, it's not just this idea of God saying no, but there's actually a bigger story being written. I'll go back to what St. Ignatius said, right? He says that sin has to do with our lack of trust in God, Yeah. right? And so as we think about, you know, some of the desires that we might have that might be unfulfilled, unmet, uh, often I found in my own journey that my feelings, my desires sometimes deceive me. Often we're seeking a particular thing that we don't get, and maybe if we had, it wouldn't be as fulfilling as we assumed that maybe it would be. Yeah. And so in reminding myself that God has this idea of what's best for me, that he has my ultimate happiness, to use Ignatius, yeah. is that he knows what will bring that ultimate satisfaction, that ultimate happiness. So I constantly remind myself that what God has to offer is far better than maybe what I assume the joy will be in whatever I'm seeking. Yeah. Yeah. I heard uh, an example one time, and it's kind of a silly example, but... It stuck with me, so I guess it worked. Uh, but this guy was talking about how uh, if he saw his wife uh, in Chicago walking down the other side of the street, if you guys have ever been downtown Chicago, it's massive, tons of cars, noise, etc. cetera, uh, and he saw his wife walking, and he was just kind of watching her, like, oh, man, I love her so much. Like, she's such an incredible person, and I just love we're married, and I know at some point, like, we'll meet up, you know, when this block ends or whatever, and just watching them, and as he's watching his wife, she goes up to a homeless person and kicks his stuff over and pushes him over. He's like, you kind of have two options. You can either think that I don't know my wife at all, and she's a monster, or there's something else going on that I don't know. There's something else happening that I didn't see, that I don't understand at this point. Um, he's like, and honestly, he's like, I would assume it's the latter. I wouldn't assume that she's a monster. I've known her for 30 years. I would assume that there's something else happening that I can't see. And I think that there's a piece of that same uh, kind of idea 
with uh, trusting that there is something else going on that we can't see. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it is a difficult thing. Um, I think it's important to remind ourselves of the ways that God has shown up in our lives also. Uh, it's not just trusting that I shouldn't have really had that, but it's also like, well, God's been super faithful. And so I can, I can look at his track record and assume, uh, assume the best, assume goodness. Um, sweet. There's a couple other questions in here. There's a really hard one too. So I'm going to uh, give you this one. <laughs> uh, if most scriptures refer to the heart, I don't know what pastor said this. If most scriptures refer to the heart as being deceitful, what's the meaning of Proverbs 4 where it says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life? That is a really good question. Yeah. Uh, I, I think um, as we think about the deceptive nature of our heart, maybe that's what we're guarding against. Hmm. It's not that our heart is completely against what God would desire. Oftentimes our hearts are in tune, in line with what God would desire. So to guard our heart, I think maybe has to do with the way that we're constantly becoming aware of the places that we might be deceiving ourselves or others may be leading us in directions that would deceive us. While at the same time, maybe there's already something within us that, that would speak, whether that's God or things that God has already shaped in us. So can we guard those spaces where God has already done the pruning, mm-hmm. the, the correcting, the healing? Yeah. Because we're in this journey where we're constantly becoming more like Christ, yeah. and that includes our heart. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, as you say that, I think of, you know, I was like, what are the... <laughs> is there in a single area in my life that I had a naturally good desire? Uh, and probably not. But the closest thing, the thing that popped in my mind was like, as a father, like I desire to care for and protect my kids. And there's that there is something in that that is God given and kind of innate. And also, as I've shared multiple times, the way I do that oftentimes is broken <laughs> through broken ways, you know, through my own brokenness. And so there's this aspect of, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, anyways, I don't, I don't have anything better to say than you do. Uh, okay, one other question, and then uh, and we'll see if we can maybe answer some more of these online or something like that. But um, I feel like uh, feelings are a gift because God created us with them. So if it's true, if that's true, then how is it that they can lead us into difficult situations? And how do we reason between feelings and wisdom? I think we started with that one last Last uh, yeah, service. Yeah, first service. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I have to answer this by telling a story. I'm, I'm a teacher, so I tell a lot of stories. <laughs> uh, um, when I was a kid, I was uh, probably 11, 12 years old. Uh, we lived in an apartment. My, I have three brothers. Um, we were all pretty close in age. Uh, and the, the six of us, my parents and my brothers, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment in L.A. And uh, because of how small our apartment was, we were always outside getting ourselves in trouble. <laughs> And in seeking approval, whether that was from my brothers or friends, one day my brothers dared me to jump off the roof of our two-story apartment building. I did not engage my head at all. (laughs) I was seeking approval. And so I did what they had dared me to do. And in the process, I broke both ankles. Now, because of how often we were in trouble, my wife's laughing at me. She knows. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So uh, in, in that process, I, I walked in the house um, in pain, and my mom, who was a nurse, uh, was like, yeah, whatever. It, it's the same as every other day. You just got yourself into some mischief, and you're paying a price for it. So we never went to the doctor. And by the time I was 14, I ended up having surgery on both feet uh, to repair uh, some, some issues with the bones. But in the surgery, the doctor cut the nerves uh, for the feeling in the bottom of my feet. So coming back to feeling, 
when he did that, I couldn't sense when I would walk on things that were hot or if I stepped on a tack or a nail. And I remember one summer I went with uh, friends to the beach and my feeling, here's why I think this is so important, our feelings often deceive us. They lead us into places where we maybe shouldn't be. And I remember walking across the beach and my friends were sort of dancing around, put their shoes back on because it was so hot. And I thought I was so cool because I could take the heat uh, until I realized I had blisters. Right? I wasn't safe at all. I wasn't, my feet were not healthy. And even though I felt good, it was actually very bad for me. And so I try to challenge people to think about their feelings. Uh, you know, sometimes they can get us into trouble. Our feelings, if we allow them to lead us, to guide us, can actually cause blisters in our lives. So the question is, what, what blisters do we each have that aren't literal blisters, but, but maybe connected to places where we have wounds because we've followed our feelings rather than yeah. to think about the reality of what might be taking place. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I know there's a few other questions that have come in and we don't have time to answer them here, but I'm going to do my best to answer them this week. We'll put them up on Instagram or something like that. So, But can we thank John Mark for coming up and answering some questions? Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today and I hope that I get to see you soon.